Honestly, Chris, the correlation I've seen in between somebody's financial generosity and their contentment and, and the decreasing of anxiety financially in their life is pretty significant. The Bible says if you give, you'll receive. And I think a lot of times people assume that's financially, right? So it's like, okay, if I start tithing, I'm going to make more money. Well, um, the Bible doesn't say that, first of all. Um, no. Second of all, uh, I've seen people tithe and, and make less money. So practically, I've seen that not work out. Um, but what do you really get in return? If you're looking for God to be a vending machine where like you put something in and you get something out, you're not going to be satisfied because that's not true generosity. True generosity is yeah. God, I've received everything I, I could have ever needed from you. So everything I give is in response. And then you get to watch God do really cool things um, through your finances and everything that he has entrusted you with. Hey guys, welcome to the Rally Point Podcast, where we'll be talking each week about how a man can rally around the gospel. A relationship with Jesus affects every aspect of our life. So in some weeks, we'll talk about theology, sometimes marriage, parenting, health, personal development, and probably a lot more. No one person has all the answers. So my hope is that this feels like a conversation with friends as we grow together and explore life as a Jesus follower and as a man. I'm Chris Cirillo, your host. Don't hesitate to hit me up on social media. Uh, just come say hi, comment on this week's episode, and be sure that if you enjoy the podcast, to subscribe and please leave a review. It's so helpful for other people to find and hear the podcast. Enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to the Rally Point Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I've got an incredible interview today with one of my dearest friends, Mr. David Kroll. David, how's it going? It's going good. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Dude, it's a pleasure. Thanks for taking some time. Uh, for those guys out there that don't know who you are, kind of what your story is, I'd love for you to take a few minutes, kind of uh, maybe take us back. What was what was your childhood like, kind of faith journey, you know, business, kind of what led you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up in a, in a place called Santa Barbara, California, a beautiful place where it's 75 and sunny. Uh, now live in Seattle, Washington with my wife, Jenna, and we've got two babies. One's four and one is one years old. Um, and But growing up in Santa Barbara, I uh, grew up in a Jewish home. And I know that many of the, the listeners to uh, your podcast are um, coming from, you know, from Christian community and, and Christian faith and, and, and people of faith. I grew up uh, within a Jewish faith community. And uh, for me, it was very interesting. A lot of um, our family had um, come over to the United States um, in the generation prior to my father and had even escaped the Holocaust. And, and so um, our faith was really one um, of tradition and of the values of the Jewish culture, not necessarily a faith in God. So um, I didn't really grow up with any type of relationship concept of what faith actually meant to me. So uh, right or wrong was basically if my parents found out if I did something or not. So kind of lived my life um, on my own for quite some time. When I was 18 years old, two good looking girls at Santa Barbara High School invited me to go to this thing called Young Life, where I heard about Jesus for the very first time. And um, something just captured me as um, somebody was up there sharing the story of when Jesus calms the sea and tells his disciples to um, basically not freak out and have faith. And that concept of faith or trust in something bigger than yourself really captured me. So I went back the next day, asked for a Bible from a friend, and they were super excited to give me one. And I read the New Testament in, I don't know, like a couple of days. I was just hungry to learn about this person, Jesus. And within a week or so, I found myself um, on my knees uh, beside my bed one night, just asking for Jesus to come into my life. And uh, life 
obviously has changed quite a bit since then. I uh, was mm. in the business world for quite some, some years and uh, was an investment banker, was in tech sales, wealth management, and uh, the whole time was volunteering my time with young people uh, within church and uh, non-church organizations that were serving young people and um, came to the point where I actually came on staff with Young Life. And then um, I've been on staff now with a church called Church Home in Seattle uh, for a little over six years, with a youth, was a youth pastor for four years, and currently my wife and I are the general. Quick little synopsis. Obviously, yeah, there's a lot love it. in between here and there, but. Well, uh, yeah, let's unpack a little bit of that. So uh, for, for everyone listening, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that can relate with um, being that tension between business and ministry, right? And so it sounds like for a number of years, you were volunteering your time with Young Life, but you were you were on the grind, if you will, in, in business. Talk to me about that lifestyle and, and maybe what prompted that transition out. Yeah. Um, well, growing up around a lot of successful businessmen in the area that I grew up in, as well as just who my family is and, and some of the success that my family members have had, um, was definitely from a young age, assuming that I would be a businessman. And so uh, I went to Seattle Pacific University. I was a business major and an international relations major right out of school, um, was in investment banking. My passion um, ever since I gave my life to Jesus was really uh, my faith and helping to influence young people in the same way that I've been influenced and in realizing that there's a God who loves them and cares about them and um, trying to demonstrate that in my own life. So for me, I made money to do ministry. That was the reason. You take a look at Paul, um, one of Jesus's first disciples, um, right? Paul is persecuting Christians, has this radical conversion. Well, it goes and ends up being one of the most influential people um, in all of scripture, writes two thirds of the New Testament. Well, how did he do everything he did? He was a tent maker. He had a business to make, yep. re- to make, to make finances and have resource to go do ministry. So for me, I always assumed that that was going to be the role that I played, that I would always volunteer my time and um, you know, it was, it was, I volunteered quite a bit of time. I would, uh, especially when I was volunteering in young life, um, 20 hours a week would have been normal, um, uh, for me just spending time with young people. Cause I was passionate about it. Um, so I was constantly living in that tension of making money to go do work. But what I was realizing is that, especially when I was in investment banking, I was traveling to Denver, Dallas, Houston, New York, uh, a couple days a week and taking large clients around to meet with hedge funds and mutual funds and selling stocks. And um, it's definitely uh, a lot of, if you've ever seen any movies about Wall Street, a lot of that is very true. And so the atmosphere and environment that you're around is definitely not um, always the most encouraging or uplifting for a person of faith. It can be um, quite the opposite. And it's kind of hard to do anything 60 to 80 hours a week and not have it be an idol. Um, And during earnings season, you're talking close to 100 hours a week that you'd be spending you know, just just working. So um, I found myself slowly dying on the inside. um, And I made a significant transition then and uh, actually moved physically back here to Seattle. I was living away at the time. And then um, I also transitioned to wealth management for private individuals. And then a few years later, I left finance entirely and went into tech sales. But this whole time I was volunteering with, um, with church, with, with young people specifically. And um, it came to the point to where one day mm. um, I really felt like, um, I don't know, it, it, you know, you know, when you feel like you, you kind of have this inkling from God, you're not exactly sure if it's God, but you kind of can't shake something that's on your, your, your brain. Yep. And, yeah. and so you, so I was talking to some friends about it. I'm like, guys, I really feel like I should, I don't know. I feel like I should be on staff with young life. It's, it's what I'm passionate about. I, it's, it's, I, I, what I, it's what I feel like I should be doing. And, 
Um, so I just started looking for positions and uh, there was a position that came up in a place called Edmonds uh, here in the Seattle area. And um, I was like talking to one of my friends one day who came to, to visit me for lunch and, and he's like, dude, just apply. Why don't you just apply? And um, what's the worst that can happen, right? Is they say no, um, or you see if it's an open door. Let's just see what God has. So I ended up applying and um, long story short, just kept, you know, I thought that was my moment of faith. Like, look, God, because it was a significant decrease in pay to go from what I was doing to yeah. come into vocational ministry. And I'm always hesitant, by the way. And you know this, Chris, because you live life this way, too. I'm always hesitant to say full time ministry as uh, and correlate that to your work, because we're yeah. all in full time ministry, no matter what you do. Right. So yep. you can be 100%. you can you can do all those things I just said, and you're in full time ministry. So I was shifting from. Um, I was shifting my my vocation, not the way I looked at ministry. So for me, even being an investment banker, being in tech sales, wealth management, that was my ministry as well, not just what I did outside of the office. So uh, my paradigm was taking a look at, okay, actually vocationally shifting from these things I'm doing over here to Young Life. And one thing led to another and um, ended up getting offered that role. And I was engaged to my wife at that time. And so we were able to pray about that together and decide together because it was a big decision to make yeah. that shift. And, um, it's been, it's been incredible, man. I love it. And some of this for, for those of you guys listening at this time, David and I were actually in a small group together at church. And these are details that even I haven't heard before some of them, and they're really exciting. And so we've walked together for years and love hearing this story, uh, and love the extra little details I get every time he shares some of it. So, uh, talk to us a little bit more, um, if you will, about kind of that transition and how you guys handled it, you and Jenna at the time, because you mentioned that you guys both got a chance to then pray about it. What were some things that you were looking for? Or, or how, how did you guys actually make the final decision? Okay, yeah, we're going to take this leap. Because as you and I both know, that is a big one. It's it's not an easy one. Yeah, it was a 300 and something percent pay cut we figured out um, when I came <laughs> on. Staff. So, so, so when I say big leap, like there's yeah. exciting parts about doing what you love, right? Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. It, 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 so all those things were obvious. The, the uh, And I'm like, okay, would I love to get out of an office environment and to be with students who I'm passionate about and love and, and, and care about? And like, uh, that is that was almost a no-brainer piece. The bigger piece was, okay, um, God hasn't called me to be single. He's actually called me to have a family. I'm engaged. Um, how are we going to make big decisions together? And um, we had the privilege of having a big decision like this early on to where we got to form that paradigm. And the decision we made was this. It's that we are never going to say no to anything God asks us. And mm -hmm. the Krolls, um, are we're going to make decisions based off of faith, um, our trust in God, and we're going to watch him provide and and trust the way the ways in which he does that. And he has always done that for us, and it's been incredible. But it really comes down to that. It's like if God asks you to do something, and the people in your life who love you, who are close to you, that you're involving in the decision-making process, support those decisions and um, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you got to kind of take that leap of faith, but if God is leading you in a direction, even if it doesn't make logical sense, are you willing to risk things, uh, risk financial things, risk status things, risk comforts that you've been used to, uh, to trust God and say, you know what, the way I want to live my life is that, um, it, it, you know, uh, a quick sidetrack. I was just on my, the phone with my dad, um, a few minutes ago and, uh, and he just, he made a comment to me. He said, David, you know, it's interesting. Life isn't linear. And I think it, it, I've, I've had the opportunity yeah. to really see that play out in, in many ways. And I think it's profoundly true because life for us has not been linear. 
And, and I think God has a destination for us. Uh, I don't know where that is, but I do know that the fun part is having faith in the journey and just be willing to say yes to whatever he asks us to do. So that's kind of how we decided that. Um, yeah, let's do this thing. Oh man. And it's been a wild, what, uh, you said six years now. And, uh, yeah. since, since you transitioned away from young life, then over to working at the church and right. you went into youth ministry, uh, did that for four years. And now you're doing, uh, tell them a little bit about what your role is like, uh, today. Yeah. So my title is generosity pastor. Um, and in essence, what that means is that I get the privilege of thinking about how we get to be generous as a community. So my job uh, is to do a couple things. It's to give to the givers of church home, our church. So um, for me, uh, that's basically taking a look at anything that resource touches um, and resource and cause where those two things meet. Those are things that I would oversee. So not only caring for people who give and that means give any amount from one penny to a million dollars. Um, it means kind of thinking about how we celebrate the story of what God is doing within our community, how we communicate that to people, how we show value to people. Um, as a community, we don't believe that generosity stops with us, but that as a church, we're actually supposed to be generous ourselves. So how are we giving to different causes and involved in different things around the world? I work um, very closely with our missions team and our missions department to talk about the ways in which we are being the hands and feet of Jesus, not just locally, but globally. Um, and then I find myself, um, involved in anything from that to meetings yeah. with our CFO and finance directors. So, um, I wear a lot of hats around here, which is super <laughs> fun because I kind of get to, to see, um, a lot of things that wouldn't necessarily be seen. Uh, but my job is definitely not dollars and cents, it's hearts and souls. And so I'm yep. a pastor first and foremost. So I would say the biggest responsibility is caring for the business people of church home and having come from that background, it's really exciting to take the experiences that I had, um, in, in my career within business and try to care for people who are living out those same things every day. Man, what an incredible role. I mean, it, it's, I, I feel like it's this incredible crossroads around all these things that you're so passionate about as an individual. And, um, I, I'd be curious what your, uh, advice would be. Um, you and I both uh, come from coming from that church. I mean, there's such a heart of generosity there in the culture of who the people are in that community as a whole. Um, so that's something we've always been extremely excited about, uh, you know, as a whole. But but practically, that that's not normal everywhere, right? And so a lot of people don't get this incredible opportunity to see that play out in a in a community and to to kind of live life around a lot of people who are walking out generosity day in and day out. So if you were to talk to guys right now who are listening, who maybe are trying to understand, hey, what does generosity look like in my life? Maybe maybe that's not something that is a major portion of, of how their, their church operates, or maybe they just weren't sure. raised in that. What would you say? I mean, where would they start? Yeah, and, and generosity is financial, but there's other things too, right? And I think yeah. um, sometimes it's way more comfortable to address the first the, the other things first. Um, just depending on somebody, for somebody, generosity um, financially may be easy, right? And volunteering may be really difficult, right? Being generous with their time. For another person, maybe volunteering their time may be super easy. But when it comes to their finances, they hold on a little bit tightly, more, more tightly. So generosity means so many different things. It's not about um, money, time. It's about a holistic life, uh, life approach based off of what Jesus said. Um, God is generosity. So you can't define generosity outside of the person of Jesus. If you do, you basically make it uh, philanthropy, right? Or tax planning mm -hmm. or estate planning. 
But when faith enters the equation, and the reason we give is because God first gave to us, so it's out of a response. It's not to try to get anything from God. It's not to say, God, I want to receive something from you. No, it's God, I've already received everything I need. So generosity, uh, it's key for generosity to come from a place of contentment and having received everything you could ever want. Because if you don't, then you're probably not trying to just give. You're probably trying to get. And that's a really dangerous place to be. So, um, but you know what? We've all been there. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's also a journey and a beginning place. Um, you know, scripture talks a lot about finances outside of the kingdom of God. The number two most talked about subject in all of scripture is money. And why is that? Well, I think it's because money matters a lot to people. And a lot of times our finances are attached to um, our heart. And so what does God want? The yeah. heart. He doesn't care about our finances. He can make a money tree in my backyard if he really wanted to. He's God. But what does God want? He wants my heart. And so he's probably going to target the things that my heart are attached to. And so oftentimes that is finances. So when we talk about generosity, it's really not a money talk. It's a faith talk. And, hey, what areas in your life are you not doing this? Are you not living open handed? Maybe you're living a little bit more like mm-hmm. this, holding on. And you're a little bit fearful about letting Jesus have control of a certain sphere of your life. So, um, you know, scripture talks a lot about finances. It says, um, God actually says, test me in this area. He doesn't say that about anything else. He says, test me in the area of your finances. Try me. I love that about God. Um, I also, he, he talks about the world of the generous being getting larger and larger and the world of the stingy getting smaller and smaller. Um, I think anybody who's lived more than five years of life, um, has experienced the sense of uh, dissatisfaction that can come with um, living financially for yourself and and not having a generous mindset, but um, it really is better to give than to receive. So everything that I try to do is to, um, first of all, my wife and I are are passionate about that. Um, Judah Smith, our lead pastor, and his wife, Chelsea, are very passionate about that. His father and mother, Wendell and Jenny, who started this church 26 years ago, were passionate about that. And so Honestly, like my job is, is is really easy in a lot of ways because I stepped into a culture that was already passionate about generosity. So um, it's really about dreaming and thinking about how we get to inspire that in others. And honestly, Chris, the correlation I've seen in between somebody's financial generosity and their contentment and, and the decreasing of anxiety financially in their life is pretty significant. The Bible says if you give, you'll receive. And I think a lot of times people assume that's financially, right? So it's like, okay, if I start tithing, I'm going to make more money. Well, um, the Bible doesn't say that, first of all. Um, no. Second of all, uh, I've seen people tithe and, and make less money. So practically, I've seen that not work out. Um, but what do you really get in return? If you're looking for God to be a vending machine where like, you put something in and you get something out, you're not going to be satisfied because that's not true generosity. True generosity is, yeah. God, I've received everything I, I could have ever needed from you. So everything I give is in response. And then you get to w- watch God do really cool things um, through your finances and everything that he has entrusted you with. So, um, it's a fun journey. My wife and I are on it. We're trying to figure out what it means every day, but, um, yeah, that's a little bit about what I would say generosity has meant to us. Man, I love it. I mean, generosity is, is important. I mean, it's one of those things that you can, you can really tell when a generous heart isn't behind, something that's happening and it and it, it's been convicting for me as well because I've fallen into that and, and I was just talking last week uh, w- with uh, Elliot Crowther and he was talking about how um, it's kind of a muscle that has to be has to be worked right and and I've seen in my own life that over time I've I've gotten to places where you know it's really easy to give money 
but I'm, I'm a little tighter on, you know, giving my time or different things like that. So I, I'm really excited that you brought that back up and, and kind of surfaced it. Cause I think all of us, uh, you know, you, it's not something you just figure out and then you coast. I think like you'd said, it's, I mean, we're, we're sorting this out daily and yeah. you know, it involves talking with your wife and, and figuring out what, it, what does it practically look like for us in this season we're in and, and with what we're doing and what we have and, and how we can give. And, uh, like you said, that's time, energy, resources. Uh, you know, it's a listening ear. That's, uh, it's a lot of things. So it is. And, and um, there's that stewardship too, right? Between faith and stewardship, right? That, so there's a spectrum yeah. of generosity and we have God entrusts us with X, right? And X is what's in between my two hands. Well, over here you have faith and over here you have stewardship and you don't want to see, you know, people are, have a predisposition to be closer to one or the other, but you don't want to sway too far to one side. Um, because what can seem like faith is really an abandonment of stewardship. So if generosity, all of a sudden, mm. you, let's say God inspires you, Chris, to go give a car to somebody and you experience such a level of satisfaction by giving that car away. You're like, honey, we got to do this. Let's give a house. Let's give another car. Let's, you know, and all of a sudden it becomes your idea. Well, you've kind of left God out of this equation that may seem like faith, but you're just going kind of so far away from stewardship that I don't even know if yeah. it's generosity. It's just kind of doing things to try to inspire. You're trying to get a, a sense of satisfaction, right? So once again, it always has to ha come from that place of contentment. Same thing on the stewardship end. Let's say, honey, We've got a budget. We can't. I, I know you feel like we're supposed to buy these people dinner, but that's going to put us over this month. And I don't know what we're going to do. Or, you know, yeah. that's where you're living too far in the stewardship end. And you got to say, God, I trust you. Like if I feel like you're telling me to do something that isn't logical, um, I don't want to operate just um, in the strategic sense. I want to operate in the spiritual. So I think my wife and I are always trying to figure out that's where conversation is key. Um, and for, for us, we want to be generous people. So we want to always find ways to do things, but we're not going to abandon stewardship and like the well-being of our household and stewarding what God entrusts us with. So it sounds like, and, and if, if so, I think we're on the same page here, but it's, it sounds like what you're saying is that both stewardship and generosity could become an idol that you're attached to that causes you to act outside of the will of God and impact the other negatively. Is that, is that what you're saying more or yeah, less? I, and I would say it doesn't just operate like those two, but it's think about any spiritual gift that comes along in scripture. Um, yep. and, and you see, you see churches fall into this trap very often and, um, no church is, uh, is immune from this. You always have to be on the, on the lookout for this. And that's where things are always moving. But, um, you know, like prayer. Okay. Prayer's our thing, man. Like we're just prayer warriors. We're going to pray all the time. Well, that's awesome. There's app I, I, for me, I'm passionate about prayer, but prayer isn't Jesus, right? Scripture, like, oh man, I'm in, well, scripture is awesome. And it's the God breathed word of God, but my Bible isn't Jesus, right? Jesus is Jesus. So it, 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 same thing with generosity, like generosity is a gift given by, by God, right? It is an actual gift in scripture. Well, that's awesome. But if you operate so much with a focus on your gift versus the one who gave you the gift, you're probably going to get disconnected from what this whole thing is about. So the key is staying connected to Jesus in whatever we do, whether it's stewardship, generosity, all these things. And the goal is to look more and more like him. So, you know, it's not to focus on generosity. It's to focus on being more like Jesus. And in turn, you'll be more generous. So um, I think if you focus on generosity, absolutely, yeah. you can become an idol. Stewardship, same thing. Focus on Jesus and he'll he'll kind of guide the way. Yeah, it's almost like guys who, and, and I've fallen into this in the past as well, guys who 
get in the habit of having a routine to read their Bible for the sake of having their routine and not falling out of it rather than seeking to spend time with Jesus and get to know him so that we can be made into his likeness. Right. right. Um, you know, it's like, uh, uh, the means in the end kind of thing. Um, so, uh, generosity that I think that's absolutely key. I think, I think without a generous heart, um, I think you're pointing to a reality of not understanding the generosity of God. So I would agree with you on that. I think, I think, uh, someone growing into generosity requires an understanding, a very profound understanding of, of who God is and what he's done for me on an individual Mm -hmm. basis. Um, what other, what other characteristics or attributes would you say point to a godly man? Um, if you were to define, you know, biblical masculinity, we've, you know, clearly generosity is, has to be part of that biblical man. Sure. Uh, what else is there? I mean, you're a father, husband. Talk to me about yeah. that. Yeah. And, and hopefully what I say is my wife would agree with. <laughs> she's, <laughs> right. She listens oh, and she's like, uh, great thought, honey. How about we live that out? That's always the key, right? So I can oh, talk from man. philosophy and hopefully my wife will back me up on it. Um, yeah. No, you know, I, I remember um, thinking about a guy who was a mentor of me because I, I think about that question actually a good amount. And I've had the privilege of having some amazing um, kind of fathers of the faith in my life that I have pursued relationship with and have um, impacted me massively. And um, and I think about there's a gentleman, his name's Ed Smith. And he is a professor at SPU, like a second dad to me in so many ways. And um, he has been a part of my life and journey for over 15 years now. And I remember about five years ago thinking about Ed and I was on a, on a ferry ride. There's a lot of water around Seattle. So um, I was on a ferry ride. I don't even remember where I was, uh, but I was going somewhere and I was just kind of listening to some music and thinking about um, thinking about some things, praying to God. And what I felt like as clear as day, it hit me. What was so impactful about this man's um, impact in my life was empathy. And the fact that I feel like he had a voice in my life because he was empathetic um, it doesn't mean he wasn't a hard ass sometimes and, and challenged me yeah. and really, um, pushed me sometimes when I needed to be pushed because that's love as well. Um, but he was empathetic and always cared and gave me a listening ear and wasn't just looking to, um, he cared about me and that came through. So I think empathy is such a high quality of a true man of God. I think we see that in the person of Jesus. I think we see that in, um, almost any character in scripture that we take a look at and that I would admire as a man of God. Um, I also think that this concept of meekness is tremendously impactful, which is strength under control. And it is so countercultural in today's world to think about meekness being strength, humility, meekness, um, doing what Jesus did, which is putting other people before himself. Um, you know, it just it so impacts me when you read in Philippians that Jesus being in himself, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took on human form and likeness. Right. You, it, like that has become so and become so commonplace. Right? I'm a pastor. And, you know, you, you can hear those things on such a frequent basis that it can become like a bumper sticker and just like white noise that you see all the time. Like, yeah, Jesus loves me. Jesus. But that should never become commonplace. That is our model as men. And especially in the way that we love our wives, right? Love your wife in the way that, that, that Jesus loved the church. Well, what did he do for the church? He gave his life for the church. He died for us. Um, so are we laying down when I'm in an argument with my wife? Am I the first person to lay down in the argument and be humble and say sorry and genuinely care? 
Um, those are the real, honestly, like those are the real nitty gritty moments in life where um, hopefully my wife is seeing progress in me that I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. Because if she is, surely that will translate everywhere else. Um, she's the one who sees the most real me. And yeah. um, so if I can lead that way in my household with meekness, with compassion, with humility, with empathy, um, I think I'll become more and more like Jesus. So uh, there's plenty of other things, but honestly, I think for me, those are some of the things that in the last few years have been at the forefront of my mind. Man, that's so good. The, the thought about meekness, <laughs> that I love that. Because there, there was a pastor when, when Justine and I uh, were getting ready to get married, um, one of the pastors told me, he's like, here's what I see in your life, and I want you to focus on trying to be this in a better way moving forward, and that is steel wrapped in velvet. And it's kind of a strange like word picture, but I think is that, that is that does that mean you you've, you've definitely increased the amount of velvet in your closet or like, what <laughs> are you wearing know. what are you wearing out on date night? <laughs> I I don't know I don't know <laughs> if there's the steel under there show. anymore either, but oh, uh, man. Uh, from the looks of it right now, people on iTunes won't see it, but YouTube, yeah, you know, you got steel, bro. <laughs> oh man. So, so I, I love I love that analogy though because it's there's a pillar of strength, but it's soft to the touch, and sure. it's not like invasive, if you will, right? And I think that's such an incredible like thing that you shared about meekness, uh, strength under control, right? Because because men are exactly that. Like we're designed by God to be the strong man, right? Like. We yeah, are, yeah. Uh, practically speaking, we are stronger than women. If you just want to like uh, broad strokes, right? There's obvious exceptions on on both sides of the rule, but but we are designed to be strong. But we're also designed like uh, one of my favorite sayings was that that woman wasn't taken from uh, from the head so as to be above man, and she wasn't taken from the feet so as to be trampled underneath, but was taken from his ribs so as to be close to his heart and near to him. And thinking about like a man who is, we're strong, but like we're supposed to be tender with our wives and we're supposed yep. to be the ones to lay ourselves down. Um, and that's like you said, what Christ did. So that's such an incredible thought. I love it. So well, uh, and even just just really quick, if yeah, I can make a, par- a parallel here, you know, business world, for those of you who are listening in, who uh, you don't work in a faith environment, you work in a, uh, a non-faith business or whatever type of work environment, this is a classic thing in leadership that you'll see, right? This is the opposite of meekness, is that whoever has to say to the leader is not the leader, FYI. And if you've ever had a manager or somebody who's over you in a, uh, in a position of authority in a job, um, if they have to remind you of that, um, just don't get angry. Just honestly, probably feel bad for them because that means that they, their strength isn't under control. They don't know how to operate in their strength. And that's what that means is that this, this is an individual who, who is carrying a burden. They don't, they don't know how to steward it. So it's not under control. When, um, like if I have to tell my, my wife, you need to listen to me because I'm the husband. Um, I've officially already lost, right? Like I, that's, yeah. that, that's, that means that you haven't led well to that point. So you have to try to all of a sudden assert a position outside of the, what you've earned and, um, and, and somebody's yeah. supposed to just listen to that. So I think meekness is another thing. Like if you have to tell somebody that you're in charge, you're really probably not in charge. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so I, I think it comes down to thinking about not just the way that we lead or somebody listens to our quote unquote authority. Um, it's how have we earned the right to be heard and how have we lived in a way that Jesus wants us to live and meekness is not, uh, meekness is the way we live the whole of our life and it should result in, um, hopefully us never having to 
try to say those kind of things because it won't go well. Yes. No, that's terrible. I I, I couldn't imagine saying that to my wife. Um, no, that would oh be God, a no. bad day. Um, yeah. But it makes me think too, like if you even think about um, uh, like the, the order in which that is delivered by Paul in scripture. So I think that uh, I think a good marriage is a covenant, right? Whereas it, it's not, hey, if you do this, then I'll do this, right? We both right. we both commit to doing our part no matter what the other does. But I do think that there's a correlation between when you are laying your life down for your wife, it being much easier for her to show respect and kindness and love towards you in return. And I think that if we can take that that backseat like you were talking about, be the first to yep. lay ourselves down, then I think – I think we're going to see a much better life lived out in our marriage and, and in how we do things. So and, I love and, it. And, and, I, and I love that it works that way and I hate that it works that way. And the reason I hate it is because so oftentimes it requires us as men to lead, which means throwing down your pride first. Yeah. And that's what that's if we're all being honest, we're all insecure, prideful individuals. And that is the stuff that hurts. So I, I think I think one of the hardest things to do within this concept of, of, of meekness is the, the, the kicker for us as men is the fact that everything that you talked about um, just a second ago um, does happen. But oftentimes being the leader and being the man, uh, what that means is that uh, we have to go first. And what, what that means is going first and being humble and laying down the things that really hurt. And if we just do that, uh, 99 out of 100 times, the person across the table softens and we see every result we could ever hope for in that. But um, we have to be willing to experience the pain of humility first. And um, that's why I think it's no mistake that it was written that way, that men's love your wives. And that comes before wives submit to your husbands. Um, yeah. we, we, we go first and the way we go first, um, has to be with real leadership and our wives and people in our lives will absolutely respect that. And that can be one of the greatest things that somebody could say about somebody at the end of the end of their life is that they were humble and they didn't have to be the one who was always right, but they cared more about relationship than being right. Cause we both yeah. know right. Mean, right. Means absolutely nothing. Yep. Exactly. And, and when you think you've won a relationship or excuse me, when you think you've won an argument with your wife, you've already lost um, because you either win her heart or you win the argument. And uh, the argument's not that important. Uh, but <laughs> we'll, we'll digress from this one for, for yes. today. <laughs> um, so, so talk to me. This is one of my favorite questions just because uh, it's a little bit of a dreaming opportunity. But so you walk into your house, you uh, you, you head over towards the couch, you're about to plop down, maybe pop on some basketball or something. Cause it's that, that season right now, you know, and, and you look over and there's 18 year old David sitting on your couch in your living room and you have a chance to connect with him for a few minutes. Now, looking back over, uh, you know, uh, how old are you now? 35? No, 32, 32, 32, a little bit off there. Sorry. Stole from you a couple of years. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's all good. Um, we'll talk in three years and I'll let you know if there's anything I would have said to my 32 year old. So I'm sure yeah. Be. yeah, no kidding. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so you got a chance to, to hang out with him for a little bit, give him some advice now, you know, uh, with the life that you've lived since you were 18, what, what would you say? What, what would be different? 
Yeah, I think honestly, I don't know if there'd be any explicit advice versus what stocks to invest in. That I definitely would have because <laughs> um, that's just the way my mind works. I'm like, oh man, that would have been that would have been Yahoo, right? Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're really dating us, dude. That, that I would have done that at twelve. Yeah. Oh man. Um, <laughs> gosh, I'll tell you what, but no, they. Um, yeah. I think the biggest thing would be to don't worry so much. And even what we talked about kind of towards the beginning and the fact that life is not linear, that um, we are like um, a car in Google Maps trying to make it to a destination. And um, if you take a wrong turn, it's not like this game of Jeopardy where you like you open the wrong door. And it's like, oh, no, your life is ruined. Because uh, I think when I was 18, I was pretty stressed out thinking about what I was going to do in my life and how I was going to accomplish the things that I wanted to accomplish. Um, and so I was really trying to figure everything out for myself when um, it's really a journey. And God reveals to you in the timing he wants to reveal you um, what you should do next. And the scripture says that you know God will light the steps of your path. And I think he lights your path one step at a time. And sometimes you get a, a couple steps, you get a quick glimpse. But um, I think I would have told my 18-year-old self to the, enjoy the journey because, um, and I and I hopefully have a lot of journeying to to do. I kind of feel silly talking about this as a 32-year-old because um, I've only tasted such a little bit of what um, I hope God has for me and my family. But um, the way that I've learned to live my life is that um, is really where you know Paul says in Scripture. Um, but don't say tomorrow we're going to go over here or we're going to go over there next month because um, you really don't know what God is going to do. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't plan, that you don't have dreams and you don't have hopes, but um, everything is surrendered to God. And I think I would probably just tell my 18 year old self to enjoy the journey and that um, God will genuinely bring the right thing at the right time. And all you have to do is stay connected to him and try to listen. Man. Such good advice. I appreciate it. And I know everyone listening will love that too. Um, how can we keep up with you? I, I know that you're kind of off social media for the most part. Uh, what, how can people keep up with what you find most important, whether that's church home, uh, what you guys are up to, or, or anything that's social related? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I would say specifically, I am off social media, so I'm sorry, I can't. That's it. My wife, however, posts <laughs> enough for both of us. So she's got us covered. So if you wonder what's going on. Oh, wife, man. Uh, personally, follow my wife. But no, we um, we have a, a global um, location called Church Home Global, which is an app. And if you want to stay in tune with what we're doing as far as generosity, church, and kind of everything that we're focusing on as a community, um, you can download that. Just like I said, it's called Church Home Global. And uh, there's actually a generosity section within that app. And so you can go on there. We've done some interviews and um, some content that we're delivering on a biweekly basis, as well as conversations on a weekly basis within the area of generosity specifically, um, as well as a bunch of other great content. So um, you can check that out. Otherwise, um, yeah, you can hit me up at uh, chris.cirillo at gmail.com for any complaints. And um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know if that's actually your email. But uh, but no, th that is definitely it's not. So go ahead. Email away. Yeah. 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 Chris <laughs> dot Cerullo, yeah. No. <laughs> but yeah, I would say um, our app is definitely the best way. And if you want to shoot me a message um, and are, are curious to, to kind of hear a little bit more, you can message me on that app as well. Uh, go ahead and find my profiles. David Kroll, K-R-O-L-L. Yeah, and for everyone listening, one one specific call out I want to name. Uh, so the the church 
uh, is Church Home Global, but that's C-H-U-R-C-H-O-M-E. There's only one H, all one word. So if you're looking for the app and you're doing church space home and you're not finding it, that's going to be why. So uh, that'll be an important key in, in getting the app. But yeah, a beautiful app. Love it. Um, keep up with them. And uh, David, thanks so much for hopping on here. We really appreciate your wisdom and taking a few minutes to try to share your heart and uh, uh, help guide people in the right direction. So uh, appreciate it. It's my honor. Really appreciate it, man.